Welcome. Wow. Three months. I've been waiting to say that. And most of you look really good. <laughs> Hi, David. Good to see you. Hi, James. Good to see you. John, you resemble that remark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gosh, it is just overwhelming to be here and to be here with you. And I'm so honored, Janet and I are so grateful to be able to do this. Before we study scripture together today, I need to say a few things if I can. First of all, I want to express my personal and very, very deep gratitude to Mike and Sheila Carter. We're here because of them. They have made this possible for us. They don't want me to say this. That's why I didn't tell them I was going to. She may cut my mic off here in just a second. Um, being able to do what they call in-person worship is a very big deal these days. There are legalities involved. There are liabilities involved. There are all sorts of things that the CDC recommends, that the state recommends, that the local magistrates recommend. It has to do with cleaning surfaces. It has to do with social distancing. has to do with communication. has to do with how we actually conduct the service. There's a lot to this, and they have taken care of all of that. Mike, as an attorney, has been working through the liabilities with this. He's been in touch with our insurance company, with our, with our legal counsel. They have contracted with professional cleaning services to make certain that the chapel is cleansed every Saturday before we have chapel on Sunday. Then they've come back down here early on Sunday and again made certain everything is ready for us to do this. And so this didn't just happen. This was three months of preparation and planning and work, and I'm just so grateful to them for making this possible. Uh, they also have set us up, and thank you so much for doing this. One of the most important things we can do in order to be able to do this for the next period of months is to be able to do this in this kind of setting where we're socially distanced from each other. One of my jobs is I'm resident scholar for ethics with Baylor Scott and White Health, and in that context, I'm in their monthly board meetings, and I'm on a lot of their communications and all of that. I can tell you that Baylor University Medical Center, downtown Dallas, has the highest number of COVID cases yet right now. This is not done. This is a long ways from done. I'm sorry to tell you. We do not right now have a single therapy or a single vaccine that changes things from where it was even three months ago. Even what you're reading right now is in early clinical stages. There's good news coming. It's not a hopeless by any means situation. But it's six to nine months probably is the best guess right now before medical science is going to change the realities of what we're doing. And so they've put activities in a one to four scale in terms of risk factor. The, most, the highest risk factor is a number of people in an enclosed indoor environment not socially distancing for more than 15 minutes. That's the riskiest thing you can do, is to be indoors where the circulation spreads for more than 15 minutes without social distancing. And that's why what we're doing right now has to be done this way. This is just the way to do this. This is what other churches are doing. This is what's happening across the country right now in order to be in person. And so I'm just so grateful to be able to do this. We're trying to do the two commandments together. We're trying to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're trying to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we're coming to worship, and we're coming to do this together. The singing piece, it is interesting that a Dr. Song is the person that's been publishing on this, but as I'm sure you would know, and you I'm sure have seen some of this as well, projecting is the way you spread this, whether it's coughing or it's yelling or it's singing. In fact, the best way to catch COVID is to be close to other people singing. You may know about that one choir rehearsal up in the Northwest, and of the 51 people, 47 got COVID. 
And so that's why they're telling us just don't do that. And that's why we're doing worship videos. Chad and Rachel are there in the back. Hi, guys. How long has it been since you've been in a worship service that you weren't leading? You know, it's weird, isn't it? It's odd. It's strange. But this is how we have to do this in order to do this. And I'm standing back from you and I'm not touching the microphone. And these, that's just how we do this in these days. The day will be, it will be different. The time is coming. There will be therapies. There will be vaccines. This is not permanent. But this is kind of the normal for now. And so to be able to love God and love each other in this way is such a privilege. And again, I'm just so grateful to Mike and Sheila for making all this possible for us. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that today and across the weeks and months before us, as we worship together in a new way, in a new for now normal, I pray, God, that you will still speak to us, that you will still receive our worship, that you will still bless us by your presence, by your word, by the power of your spirit in our lives, in ways that will mark us, change us, encourage us, guide us, lead us through these days. I pray even this morning, Father, that the word you've given me for me and for us would encourage us as we leave today to be able to trust you on a new level of persistence and gratitude and faith. So we thank you, love you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been stressed in recent days, you're obviously not alone, and you have a good cause to be so, right? Here's how the year began. 2020 began as 1973. Let's see if I can... This is not doing anything, Sheila. Is this not working? All right, I'll just say next. You'll be my clicker. How's that? So let's go to next if we could. Uh-oh, we lost all the first slides. Excuse us just a moment. There you go. Start with that one if you would. So can you click on uh, President Nixon and President Trump, and well, there we go. So that's 1973, the impeachment of President Nixon and, of course, President Trump. From there, it became 1918 and the pandemic, which was the flu pandemic and, of course, now the COVID pandemic. Can you switch to that, Sheila? I'll, I guess I'll just say next for each of them. And then from 1918, next, if you would, it became 2008 and the Great Recession, hopefully not 1929 and the Great Depression, and of course the economic recession of COVID, and then next it became 1968 and the racial protests and what's going on now, and all of that at one time, right? Now the impeachment's over, but the political process is starting as of the rally last night, and all of that's going on right now. And so next, if you feel like this person, you have reason to feel like this person, you know? The psychologists say there's two kinds of stress. I'll put this down. There's chronic stress and there's acute stress. Acute stress is short-term. That's getting through the crisis. That's having Bobby have his kneecap get shattered and have to have surgery in six weeks and all of that stuff he was telling me about today. And wow, I'm glad you're okay, my friend. But that would be acute. That would be fair. You hope it's short-term anyway, right? Short-term stress. That's one thing. As bad as that is, we can kind of get through that, depending on what it is. The chronic stress, the stress that doesn't go away, the ongoing, debilitating, frustrating, won't-end stress is what leads even more to depression and anxiety rates and physical and psychological and relational challenges. And that's kind of where we've been over these period of months. We've been on that side. And so starting today, I want through the summer to talk with you kind of a series on hope for hard times. And each week what we're going to do is look at a parable of Jesus. 
We're going to apply that life-changing, hope-giving, transforming story of Jesus to something specific that we're going through as a culture and individually. We're going to start all that today by learning about the power of persistent prayer. But before we get to the text, let me ask you, why is that subject relevant especially for you? What is it in your life? Where is it in your life that you need to keep praying, that you need to keep trusting, that you need to be persistent? What's the chronic stress for you? It could be what we've talked about. It could be the pandemic. It could be the finances of the day. It could be what's going on in the culture. It could be something far more personal. It could be financial. It could be physical. But please, not rhetorical, please name it. What's the place where you most need encouragement to keep trusting today? Well, name that. And let's see what Jesus says about it. All right? So on the next slide, we'll start with Luke chapter 11, verse 5. If you go to next, Sheila. And Jesus begins a story. Can you get to the next slide? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> We're having technological challenges. And here's how this works, just so you know. You can come down and test this three times like the Carters did. You could test it 30 times. And then when you need it to, it won't work. That's how technology is. That's how that works, right? I'm glad there won't, probably, probably won't be technology in heaven, and for that we can be grateful, right? So Luke 11, verse 5, starts Jesus' parable, starts most misunderstood parable he ever told, by the way, starts this way. Jesus says to them, which of you, I have a monitor in the back, so I can see that while you're seeing this. Which of you, you're wondering, how does he know that? It, you know, well, it's right back there. I'm looking at what you're seeing over here. So which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? Well, that sounds like a lot of bread, three loaves, right? Well, loaves in their day were not loaves in our day. If you go to the next slide, this is what loaves look like in Jesus' day, okay? They'd basically be enough to feed one family one meal. They just called them loaves, but they were small, round. They didn't have preservatives, and so you just baked enough for the day's bread, and uh, you baked it kind of small and round. When you go to Israel, uh, even today they have this kind of bread, and it's hard and kind of hard to, uh, kind of crusty and all that. So that's the loaves that we have in mind here. So if you go to the next slide, Jesus says that this guy comes to you at midnight, and he says, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now you're thinking, well, this is weird. Well, that's such a different culture in their day than ours, and that helps to explain the story. So you traveled at night back in Jesus' day. It was really hot a lot of the year in Israel. Today it's really hot. So it's not unusual to, to arrive at someone's home at midnight. Hospitality is a basic rule even today in Israel. They have a thing called the Jesus Trail. I should have found a picture of it and put it up. I didn't think of it. That you can do. It's about 70 miles, and it takes you through the Galilee up in the northern part of Israel. And as you're doing this, they have hotels, but the more fun thing to do is to stay at people's houses. You don't have to call ahead. You don't have to make reservations. You don't have to do Airbnb. You walked up to someone, they tell me this, you walk up to someone's house, you knock on the door, you say, I'm traveling the Jesus Trail, and they will let you come in and stay the night, and they will give you food. It's just the culture. Try doing that where you, well, don't try doing that where you live, right? <laughs> Yeah, if you want to get shot, knock on someone's door at midnight and say, hey, I happen to be traveling around and wondered if you had, you know, room for me. Yeah, don't, don't try this at home, as they say, right? But in Jesus' day, and even today in Israel, that's part of the culture. So this guy has these people show up at midnight because they're traveling at night, and he has nothing to feed them. This is hugely a problem. 
because hospitality was so important in their culture that everybody, every day, made enough food to have leftovers in case someone shows up. And this guy hasn't done that. It's a major, it's not just that they're hungry, he's embarrassed. It's like Easter Sunday and you forgot to cook, you know? It's like the whole family's coming over for Thanksgiving and you forgot to make a meal. It's, it's like that. And so he's got this huge problem. He needs this food for these people that have showed up and he forgot to make or at least enough for them. So he comes and he bangs on your door at midnight and asks you to give him food for these people that showed up. Well, he has a right to do that because, again, hospitality extends. If I don't have food, I can ask you for food. And that's, again, the culture. But if you go next to the next, oh, no, stop right there. Okay, we went too far. And so verse 7, he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So here's what's going on. Uh, if you go to the next slide, Sheila. In Jesus' day, that's what the outside of a house looked like. That's a recreation of a first century house at a place called Nazareth Village uh, in Nazareth, oddly enough. And so that's the front door of what it would look like. If you go to the next slide, that's what it looks like inside. Some people think this was Jesus' house in Nazareth. It goes back to the first century. It was found in the oldest part of Nazareth. We don't know if it was his house. He didn't scratch his initials on the wall or anything like that. But it at least would be like his house. And here's how it works. You've just walked in the front door. See that area in front of you there? That's two-thirds of the house. That's a courtyard. That's a dirt floor. Then see that elevated place toward the back? See where it's kind of elevated up? That's the back third. That's where the family slept together around a single charcoal fire. Now, what's behind that with the stairs and all that wasn't there in the first century. That's built by the archaeologists, so you can come and go. But if you see kind of those walls on either side of that stair or that railing there, that's the back wall. The house only had one door, one entrance. Once you walk in, the first two-thirds is where the animals sleep at night. You bring them in at night for safety and for shelter. The back third is where the whole family is sleeping together around the fire. You never close your door. That's like putting a do not disturb sign up until the family all goes to bed for the night. Then when you close the door, what you're telling everybody else is, we're going to sleep, don't bother us. But in Jesus' story, the neighbor is so desperate, he comes and he bangs on the closed, do not disturb door. And the guy on the far back is hearing all this and is yelling, as it were, to him through the door, if I get up, I'll have to wake up my entire family. I'll have to wake up all the animals in front of me. Everybody will be awake all night long for me to give you what you should have had to give your neighbor, to give your friend. That's what is going on here. When he says to him, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to get up and wake up my family and wake up all the animals to give you what you should have had anyway. That's what's going on. If you go to the next slide... That's why he says, don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. If you go to the next slide, there we go. Yet Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, his importunity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. In essence, because he won't go away. 
Because he's going to keep standing there and keep knocking and keep banging on the door, even though the guy doesn't want it for all good reasons to get up and give him anything. He's going to do it anyway. And from that, people get the idea, the way you relate to God is you just keep banging on the door. And if you'll bang long enough and loud enough and hard enough, eventually, even if he doesn't really want to, God will get up out of bed and come open the door and give you the bread you want. That's the way it feels, right? That's what the parable seems to say. It's actually not saying that at all. What Jesus is using is a very common teaching technique in his day. In the Hebrew, it's known as the koi wahomer. It means from the lesser to the greater. And the simple idea is this. If a guy asleep at midnight with his family and his animals would get up and give the person what he wants, how much more will our Father meet our needs? How much more? That's the point. So if you go to the next slide, Jesus makes the application. So I tell you, ask. And in the Greek, it's ask and keep on asking. And it will be given to you. Seek, keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep on knocking in the original. And it will be open to you for everyone. No exceptions. Who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then Jesus illustrates with another Koi Wahomer. If you go to the next slide, Sheila. Wait for it. Don't you love the technology today on this exciting? It's going to do it when it does it. We're waiting. Drum roll. Mike, you want to do a drum roll? Could do something. Up. Oh, now we've gone too far. <laughs> Sheila, see if you can make it go back if you can, because that's several too far. So uh, hang on here. This never happened in all the years we've done chapel here, but that's the way technology is working today. See if you can get it. Keep going back. Yeah, now go back about four more if you would. Will it keep going? Yep, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Well, there we go. Whoop. Now go forward. There, stop there. There we go. We did it. All right, there we go. So, Jesus applies the quote of Homer. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would instead give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? So, what father would do that? I mean, if your son asked for eggs, you give him. Uh, for breakfast, uh, you know, you're going to give him a scorpion instead. If he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a, a serpent instead. So Jesus applies, if it'll go to the next slide. See if, there we go. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, there it is, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So if the man would get up at midnight, how much more God wants to get up? If a father would give his son a fish, if a father would give his son bread, how much more your father wants to meet your need. But ask and keep on asking. Keep knocking at the door. So why do you need to do that? If you go to the next slide, Sheila, hopefully. Why is persistent prayer so powerful? After all, you're not telling God what he doesn't know, right? You're not changing God's mind. You're not coercing God. You're not wearing God down. You're not talking the guy into getting up at midnight and waking up his family. God's none of that. God wants to answer your prayer. God can't wait to answer your prayer. God can't wait to meet your need. So why is persistent prayer so important? Two reasons. First one, prayer positions us to receive what grace wants to give. 
Praying doesn't inform God. It doesn't change God. It doesn't coerce God. It puts me in position to receive what grace wants to give. We've talked about this before. If I wanted to, oh, pick on John. If I wanted to give John this remote that doesn't work today. John, would you like to have a remote that doesn't work today? Wouldn't that, yeah, you could break it again, couldn't you? Exactly. So now, in order for me to give this remote to John, John has to be willing to take the remote. Right? He has, and there's some faith in that. He has to assume I'm not going to accuse him of stealing it later. I'm not going to charge him $1,000 for it. I'm not going to say he broke it. I'm not going to give him COVID by giving him the remote. There's some faith in that. The faith doesn't earn it. It just receives it. Praying receives the bread at midnight that the Father already wanted to give. But he can't give it if you won't take it. Then the next slide. The reason for persistent prayer is that persistent prayer keeps us connected to the Spirit so we can not only give us, but mold us. When you pray, God gets His hands on you. Right now, we're talking about God. We're not talking to God. We're at one remove, right? If we were talking to God, God's Holy Spirit would be able to mold us and shape us like a carpenter can sand that pulpit over there or stain it or so a painter could paint these walls. When you're praying, you're positioning yourself to be molded by the Spirit, not only to give you what you need, but to make you who you should be, to mold you into the character of Christ. And that's why you ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Well, today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Fathers, happy Father's Day, guys. How is this relevant to Father's Day? Let's go to the next slide real fast. I saw an article this week, Challenges Fathers Face, and here they are, asking fathers, what are your greatest challenges? Sheila, if you'll just click through those. There's eight of them, so just go ahead and put them up there if you would, just for the sake of time. This is what fathers said their greatest challenges are today. Work and life, home balance. I never struggle with that, right guys? Never struggle with that, right? No challenges there at all. Creating time to love my wife and kids. Spending biblical time with my kids when I'm tired. Connecting with my teenagers. Why would they say that? Why would that be on the list, right? Staying motivated when I'm tired. Being a godly example to my wife and kids. Being a consistent example and not losing my temper. Being the leader my family desires, needs, and deserves. If you're a father and you see something up on your, that list... Here's the invitation. Pray about it. And keep praying about it. Keep knocking on the door. I'll just pick one. Father, help me to connect with my teenagers. Help me to understand. Help me to be understanding. Help me to be the father I want to be that you want me to be. And keep praying that. Father, help me please to be the godly example to my wife and kids that I want to be. And keep on praying that. Because as you keep knocking on the door, as you practice the power of persistent prayer, not only will the Holy Spirit answer that prayer today, He'll be molding you into the answer to that prayer tomorrow. It's a power of persistent prayer. Now, if you're not a father, and your issues aren't up on the screen, let me ask you what issue is on the screen of your heart. What's that thing I asked you to pick 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, that was the great challenge you're facing today? Decide right now to practice the power of persistent prayer, to accept Jesus' invitation, to knock on the door at midnight, to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, and know that He will always give you what is best.
because he loves you that much. I'll close with this. I was walking in our, if you go to the next slide, Sheila, keep going. There we go. I was walking in our neighborhood this week over in North Dallas, and I saw this sign out in someone's yard. I thought, well, that's cool. So I took a picture of it. I put it up on my Instagram feed for the week, or it's Instagram a feed. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not all that good at social media with people on our team that do that. But nonetheless, put that up on Instagram, let's say, because I thought it was such a cool statement. Hope is alive. Jesus is alive, exclamation point. In Hebrew writing, parallelism was how you emphasize something. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You're saying the same thing different ways. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Past, present, future. You have hope for your past because the living Jesus died for your sins and rose from your grave. You have hope in the present because the living Lord Jesus is praying for you right now. Did you know that? Romans 8, 34. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. Jesus is praying for you right now. Right now. You have hope for the future. Because the living Lord Jesus will one day take you to be where he is. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and no more COVID. One day. Because Jesus is alive. So why do you need his hope today? Let's pray about it. Bow your head and your heart with me if you would. And take this moment. Name that place where the power of persistent prayer is most relevant for you. And give it to God right now. Wherever you most need to knock on the door, whatever bread you most need the Father to give, ask right now. Seek right now. Knock right now. And now ask the Lord to help you to keep on asking. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to practice the power of persistent prayer in hard days. And Father, I join these prayers. So grateful, Lord God, by your providence, by your grace, that we're able to be back together again today. Help us to stay safe, Lord. As we do this, help us to love you and our neighbor. Show us how to do that each week and all across the week. And Father, help us to claim the power of persistent prayer. Wherever we need that power most, I pray for me and us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.